The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear. Discovering the road ahead, Goodyear, more driven. The Ultimate Fighter is back. The reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Featherweight champ Alexander Volnovsky and Brian Ortega coach men's bantamweights and middleweights who have put their lives on hold for the chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream new episodes every Tuesday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com slash UFC. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with USC women's basketball coach Lindsey Gottlieb, who spent the past two years with the Cleveland Cavaliers and had been at Cal Berkeley before that, led them to the 2013 Final Four. And Lindsey was the first NBA women's assistant who had come from the college ranks from a Power Five conference. And now she's back uh, in the Pac-12 at USC. We're here in L.A. where the sun's shining, just like it always did for your two years in Cleveland. Lindsay, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm great. Uh, looking out at the Staples Center here, but um, it's a thrill to be on with you, Woj. I'm not going to lie. The Woj pod is uh, something I listen to all the time, so I can't believe I'm on it. Well, it's it's awesome to have you have you here, Lindsay. And take me back to, you didn't think lightly about going to the NBA and leaving Cal and making what was a dramatic career move two plus years ago. What are you doing back in college basketball so quickly? I, I don't <laughs> think that was your plan when you left for the NBA. How, how did it happen? What, why are you back at USC? Why are you back in women's college basketball now? Um, it was definitely not in the plan, but as you know, in this profession, I don't know if anyone really lays out plans that that uh, go exactly um, in one straight line. So we were uh, in the midst of sort of the tail end of the season in, in Cleveland, um, and my I was focused on what we were doing there. Uh, maybe I was thinking a little bit about what an offseason might be like and then getting right back into developing the young team that is there and being part of that. Uh, and I was sitting in, in our coach's locker room uh, at the arena before our game against the Chicago Bulls, which happened to be my scout. Um, and I took a break and just kind of scrolled through social media and saw that um, the the guy that was the, the coach at USC, Mark Track, had decided to retire. And I kind of said, oh. And then in the same release, uh, the AD at USC, Mike Bone, said, you know, this is the time, you know, we're going to commit to making USC women's basketball great again. And I, and I sort of mentioned something out loud and my guys in the locker room, the other coaches like, oh, is that a good job? And, and I said, it is a good job. And that was about all I, I thought about it. And the next day we were, uh, or maybe two days later, we were in Washington, uh, or I'm sorry, we were in Charlotte, um, about to play the Hornets. And I, and I got a text message. Uh, I had my own locker room on the road. You know, they usually put me in a separate locker room and text message was direct from the AD and he said hey Lindsay we have a women's uh, coaching opening and we'd love to talk to you and I, I, I said you know I'd certainly be happy to, to talk and that started a discussion which put me on this path um, I think I would say this Woj going to the NBA I did not know where that would take me I didn't go there saying I definitely want to be a head coach in the NBA and whatever it takes to get there uh, and, and I certainly didn't have a plan to, to use it as a way to come back to women's college basketball I, I think in those two years what hit me was this is incredible. I'm learning a ton. I'm part of something. But I think I believed that I wanted to take that knowledge and be a head coach again before I did something else like go to the front office or 
and so if you know you want to be a head coach again and use that knowledge, you don't always get to decide when that call comes. And for me, I didn't know if it would be men's basketball or women's basketball, pros or college, but the USC brand being as iconic as it is and the opportunity to do something really special with women's basketball here, which has had so much success in the past, but maybe has been slightly dormant for a while, that kind of culminated in this being the time for me to make this move. We'll talk more about USC and and the job that's ahead of you here. Coming into the NBA at a time where there were women assistants on staffs, Becky Hammond in San Antonio, and, and a number of other women had come were coming up through the ranks, none quite with the path that you had taken. Um, many, some from the WNBA, um, some who had been in the video room with NBA teams and, and moved up and, and into different roles. What did you imagine the NBA might be like? And what initially did you realize, okay, this is something different than I imagined? What was it like at the beginning to come and walk in the door, not just being, certainly you come in as a woman and that was new for anybody in Cleveland. They hadn't had a woman, a woman assistant coach. Many organizations have at least had one, but you're also coming from college basketball to the NBA. Yeah, I think to be honest with you, the 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 initial differences that that struck me the most were about about that. The bigger differences were college to pro, and also for me going from being a head coach to being an assistant coach. Um, uh, those were probably mainly my day to day differences. Um, although the awareness is always there that you're the only of something in a room. I mean, Cleveland was the guys I worked with, with were incredible. Um, that they, they made the situation for me as seamless as possible. But um, you know, it is a really interesting life experience to be sitting in a room where the, you're the only of something. And I, I think for the rest of my life, that will make me a better ally and more empathetic. But the day to day differences um, probably came mostly in the form of um, the rhythms of the pro game rather than the college game, uh, the way you approach uh, work every day. Um, those are the things I, I think that that was a really a, a, a big adjustment, but but really fun and and um, just has expanded me as a, as a coach. Um, so in college, there are so many things that you do in addition to the X's and O's, right? From class scheduling to, to uh, relationships with players in terms of everything from what they're going to eat, eat for lunch sometimes, freshmen coming in, you know, to what their life plans are. Whereas in the NBA, I think it it revolves around the X's and O's, player development, s- scouting, scheming, and also relationships with human beings because this is a this is a relational uh, profession we're in. But that's pretty much it. Uh, and, I, and I think um, that was a really big uh, difference. Also, just the rhythm of when you present scouting report information when you practice versus when you don't what the day-to-day look like so you know with my teams in college if we have a game on friday night we're prepping for two or three days for that opponent uh in the nba you know if you're if you have a game on a thursday night you're beginning to talk about that opponent on thursday morning and shoot around it's just a really different uh rhythm to kind of to kind of catch as a coach and that was um that was really interesting to me jeff van gundy i remember him telling me this talking about this when he became Nick's coach and Jeff was a different kind of coach. He looked there hadn't, he wasn't an ex player. He was a little guy. He had been uh, obviously a, a trusted Pat Riley assistant. And then Don Nelson took over. They let him go and Jeff gets promoted. And, you know, he looked different than what people had seen as a head coach. And he would always say 
players don't care what you look like. What they care about, are you prepared? Are you committed? Can you make them better? Now, that sounds good in theory, and you want to believe it. Is that what you hoped it would be when you got to the NBA as a, as a woman and a college coach coming in? What did you find about what it was players wanted and, and how they responded to, like you said, your scouts, your coaching, your preparation, your film study with them? Was it the same as the women you coached? Is there something different they want out of a coach or is it all the same? I mean, I, I think Jeff is exactly right. I, I think he hits the nail on the head with in terms of my experiences. What I found is that what elite athletes want in a coach, I found that it transcends gender um, and, and probably you know what your background is. It, exactly what um, what Jeff said. I think they they first and foremost you know care. Do you know what you're doing? And you cannot fake it with these guys. They are too smart. They are too nuanced. You know. Do you know what you're doing? Are you prepared? Can you make me better? For sure, those are the basketball, um, you know, aspects of it that matter to them. And then the second piece is, do you care about me as a human being? You know, are you are you invested in me? Do you see me as more than a basketball player? I would say those are the things that uh, became very apparent to me that that was the difference in whether or not these guys were going to respect me or or connect with me. Um, and that was really. The seamless part, to be honest with you, um, and and something that I, I I think is really cool, you know, going forward, uh, to be able to have that knowledge and, and that experience, and and the relationships with with the guys uh, were something that I really cherished, and I think happened, you know, pretty pretty quickly for me. Did, did you find that there were a lot of players who were more comfortable because of their life experience with a female coach, or were comfortable with a female coach because in many of their lives if they were raised by their mom or their grandmother had a big hand, there may or may not been a male figure in their life or one that they had full trust in, that that was actually an advantage walking in in the NBA if you were willing to put the time in and build a relationship with a player. You know, well, it's hard for me to fully assess that because I've only, right, I've only experienced life through my own lens and my own body of sort of who I, who I am. Um, but I do, I do think a couple of things that in Cleveland, we had a, you know, particularly young team. So, you know, the idea of walking in with, you know, Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. and Darius Garland, who are 18, 19 years old, that's, that's sort of been my wheelhouse and, and the people that I've dealt with for 20 years of my career. So I think there was an instant comfortability there. But also just even with, you know, the vets like Tristan and, and, and Kevin Love, I, I don't know with each person whether they would inherently connect more to, to a female. I found that sort of I had an ease in the gym of being able maybe to connect to them in, in some way. But it was different with each person, right? Like with Kevin, it might be a conversation over a meal. With someone else, it might just be a quick, you know, I don't know, they were like, I'd walk into the gym and give a guy a hug, and that's what it was. I don't know if that's different than how the guys on our staff interacted. I just only know what I, you know, I think you have to be authentic and comfortable in your own skin, and that's what I tried to be, and that helped me build relationships. But I do think for these guys, um, you know, women play a, a, a prominent role in their upbringing, and so I, I imagine there's some connection there. And it is why I'm, I'm just shocked that men's college basketball power five coaches aren't running to hire, you know, women on the on the coaching staff, not just because I, I do th think you're always looking to find whatever resources or connection these elite players um, might might use to make them be better. 
and, and so I do think if you find the right personality, having you know diversity of thought and experience in, in the in the realm of a, a female life experience would probably be helpful. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Lindsay, going through a rebuild and being part where it's about player development and you know you're going to take some losses, and you've got a young team like you had in Cleveland. And like you said, the games keep coming in the NBA. They just keep coming. And you can talk about player development, and it's important, but you get on streaks where you lose 7, 8, 9, 10 in a row. What is that tenor like? And you, when you came in, John Beeline had come from Michigan. He had not been in the NBA before. And you're all going through that together. You know, you're coming from Cal where you had been in the NCAA tournament every year. You had gone to a Final Four. You were advancing in the NCAA tournament. You hear rebuild when you walk in and Kobe Altman at the gym and they talk and this is what we want. But when you're in the throes of it and the losses are piling up and there's a frustration that comes with players, you've got some veterans who are probably trying to be somewhere else. You've got young guys who are trying to establish themselves. What are all those dynamics like, especially with a new staff in the league? Well, this is where I'm. The, the best word I can use for me is is perspective. Um, it has it has changed my perspective. You have to have perspective. And, and again, I sat in an assistant seat. Like, let's not you know pretend for one second that the pressures of sitting in that first chair are not a thousand times greater than anyone understands. Um, and so for me, uh, coming into it you know, moving, you know, those several inches over and not having to be the head coach actually allowed me to sort of have the perspective and see. Look, in college, you have 29 regular season games and everyone matters like it's an elimination game. You ask any college head coach, maybe it's, you know, to get into the NCAA tournament. Maybe you're a really good team and you're thinking about your seeding. And so you have this mentality. I mean, all of us who have coached in college can literally tell you details of any loss if you've been successful and not had that many. Um, then you come to the NBA and and there has to be growth through games, not just through practice. Uh, you have to almost recalibrate of what success looks like and how you can get players better. And, you know, quite honestly, I, I think, you know, watching Coach Beeline sort of experience that, that was really, really hard. You know, he had not lost many games before, and, and all of a sudden it's like you want to be able to fix it. You want to be able to get better instantly. That's not how it works in the NBA. Because as you're getting your guys better and they are wonderfully talented 19-year-olds, you're not beaten teams with, you know, men who have been in the league for, you know, seven, eight years. And so uh, I think you have to, to change your perspective and figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish in that locker room, what, what type of, um, you know, culture you're trying to build 
And then at the same time, you know, these are very driven and talented players who want to see success on the court. So I think you have to kind of have, have command of that, of what are our goals? Where are we trying to get to? What does success look like? What are the measurables within the course of the game? Um, and that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, and, and, I, and I think the experience of having tried to navigate that with a group and a staff was, was fascinating for me. And I st- think they're still going through it in Cleveland and they'll, they'll get there, but at some point, right. And they will, you have to see the success on the floor f- for everyone to stay positive about it and feel like it's moving forward. It feels like Lindsay, people are measuring or want to measure success for the NBA with women's coaches in the league by a woman becoming a head coach. And that is one measure of success and progress. What are we missing when we think about what progress should look like after your experience in the league about where there could be a better emphasis or, okay, the league has accepted women in as coaches in this way, but, and have made it, made you able to do it, but there's more that could be done away from the obvious is Becky Hammond, who was interviewed for several jobs and had a second interview in Portland, away from a woman having the first woman head coach in the league? Yeah, um, I mean, as you as you know, Woj, part of my I don't want to say struggle, but part of my thought process in the decision to come back to college and take this job, I struggled. You know, did I do enough right in the league? Am I am I letting people down by not continuing to help break certain barriers in 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 the league or you know was there something else for me for me there and I had to kind of let go of some of that uh, in terms of to your point about success only being you know a, a woman becoming a head coach um, in, in the league um, because I think there are there are other things to be gained so for me personally now going back to college I hope I can be part of you know helping to sort of be part of showing the synergy that basketball is basketball, right? So now my life is is interesting. I have my NBA players hitting me up to work out in the gym or, or friends who are still in the playoff series. What do you think about this? While I'm also, you know, coaching, you know, Alyssa Pilly, who was a Pac-12 rookie of the year of how do we get her to the, the WNBA? So I, I, I think that's part of, you know, now saying success looks like maybe maybe making people see basketball as basketball, whatever level, if you can coach it, you can coach it. If you can help players, you can help players. In terms of within the league, um, you know, I, I think the NBA has been the most progressive professional, you know, male professional sports league around saying, you know, Adam Silver leading the the, the mentality of, we need to consider women if we're going to have the, the highest talent pools, right. In, in any area, officiating coaching. And I, and I think the NBA believes that. And then I think there are front offices who say, Hey, our coaching staff is going to be better. The more diverse that we are. Um, then it's when you actually get women in the building, what does that look like for them? Um, are you getting the best out of a female if she's the only one in, in, in the building? Um, I'm not sure, right? So I think we have to continue to, to, to make hires in every area of an organization um, to, to continue to push that forward. And then there's the day-to-day. Look, the NBA life is not normal. You're on the road for a really long time. Um, you have kind of odd hours. and. As we know, I, I think those things and the balance of family and work is is different for women. It just is, right? Like, no, I don't think many people ask male assistants or male head coaches, "Hey, like, 
you know, what are you doing about parenthood when you're on the road? And and I not only thought about that all the time, but got the question all the time. Um, and so I think the first to acknowledge that life looks different for a coach, you know, who's a parent if, if they're a mother. Um, and, and then how do we ultimately make um, the work-life in integration conducive? no one in coaching, you know, thinks you have a nine to five, right? But for me, the importance is being able to do both things at the highest level possible. Uh, and, and I think driving some of those conversations uh, in the NBA might might be the next step. Certainly it was conversations I was comfortable having within our organization. I hope other women are as well. And, and that would be, I think, maybe one of the next conversations of, of how do we not only get women in the league, but how do we help them to thrive in their work um, environment because they tend to balance many, many things. You, you mentioned, Lindsay, the the pressure or burden you felt about, am I leaving the NBA too soon? That you trailblazed your way in. There were a lot of people looking to you. I, I know you probably got calls and questions every day from peers you came up with in the women's basketball business who said, I might like to do that, or what's it like and how much was that in your thinking when you decided to go back to USC that did you have a bigger responsibility to see this through, maybe even at the expense of what was best for you, your family, your career yeah. in the moment? A ton. I mean, I, I can't over, overstay. I still think about it, right? Like, cause it, cause that's part of, I think who I, I am in coaching is what is my greater impact? So when I first left Cal to go to the NBA, it was, it's really hard, you know, to leave a locker room full of people you care about and you, you recruited and, you know, you're doing something with on a daily basis. And part of the, the ultimate reason of why I did go is I felt that my reach would be greater, that the women in that locker room, you know, who have talents in, you know, business and math, you know, who might want to be in analytics in the NBA one day. I mean, this idea that women who who love sports and are talented, that there's a place for you in professional sports, whether it's coaching or something else. I, I thought that was part of my my mission. Um, and the, 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 like you said, the calls and the, 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 the things that I was able to encounter every day in the NBA, I felt that I was having that I impact and also just the guys that I was able to coach, um, you know, and, and, and their, you know, vision of the world in terms of what women are capable of doing. Ultimately, though, I, number one, I don't necessarily think that 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 work is done, even even though I'm, you know, the head coach at, at USC Women's Basketball. I hope that there, it's changed the narrative a little bit uh, and changed the, the the mentality around what what women can do in the in the league and on a day to day basis. You know, I think what we're going to do at USC Women's Basketball and the connections that I have in the NBA hopefully uh, continues to push the next generation of women forward. Um, but yeah, it's de definitely that bigger impact is is something that that I that I that I'm conscious of and that I think about. Were there ever any moments coming into the NBA, any situations where you go, I'm not so sure I feel welcome here, but I'm walking through or this situation, whatever times you felt unwelcome by anybody? I don't know that unwelcome would be the, the right word. I, I think, you know, you, you see people have to get more comfortable. Um, I, the, our first year, you know, pre-pandemic when there were fans and everything, I would, I would say this, anytime we were on the road uh, in the arena and, you know, you're there well before the game, you're working out your guys and your time slots, um, you know, two hours ahead of the game, going from our locker room area to the court for me more times than not was an issue, right? Like I, we were probably given a credential at the beginning of the year that nobody ever wore. And I'd be walking kind of from the back to onto the court with, you know, 
three of our male assistants and they'd all go through and then a security guard would, would stop me and ask me for my credential and I'm in the in the gear but it doesn't mean they're bad people I think that they're, they just didn't think that I would be a coach walking on the court um, so things like that unwelcome no people not quite ready or not quite comfortable um, maybe having that separate locker room that's interesting what was it <laughs> did you had you talked about that that would be part of it when you took the job? What was that like? Does it feel isolated to be getting dressed, prepared in a separate locker room, and then I guess you come back over to do the pregame stuff right. with the rest of the team? How did that work? Was that obviously different than anything you would ever experience as a coach? You were all in the same locker room. Yeah, there were a lot of things that were different I never experienced. So before taking the job in Cleveland, you know, Kobe Altman and his um, – you know, kind of front office staff, they were really, they were very proactive. Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to build a locker room. It's, you know, it's, it's overdue. We, we have a, a woman in the, in the front office um, there. And, and so, you know, he said, it's been long overdue. You need a place to, you know, shower here. And they, they were proactive and I hadn't even thought about it. And I was like, oh, okay, but I'm more concerned. Like what meetings am I going to be on? What's this role going to look like? At the point I was in, in my career, I wanted to make sure I had just significant sort of basketball roles which I always did but that's where my mind was before I took the job I didn't really think about the locker room I, I thought about what type of substantive basketball stuff am I, am I going to be doing and how does this look as a mother those were the things that concerned me the most so a lot of the stuff that just sort of happened on the road I was like oh I hadn't really thought about this um so uh on the road I would have a separate locker room and I will say it was sort of hit or miss arena to arena what it was like um there was one time I uh was put put in a locker room with a mascot and I was like yeah we're not this is not this is not gonna work um and some of the other women in the league had had their stories too but I will say um uh you know the the coaches association and the league was very also proactive saying hey tell us if something isn't up to par we want it to be where you know everyone feels like they have a spot the interesting thing and I had actually had um heard Becky speak on a panel right when I got the job at Summer League. And, and she talked about, um, you know, her first couple years where when she had a separate locker room, kind of being worried sometimes about, well, what am I missing? And, you know, do it, did I not hear something that the other coaches heard? And having to kind of come to grips with, no, some things I'm not going to be on, on just because I'm a first-year assistant. And other things, you know, it's going to be because I was down the hall and we got we to gotta work on that. So I, I do, that was really helpful to me. And I think a lot about what it must have been like for Becky for the first several years with literally nobody else. Um, and, and so much kind of respect for how she had to get, navigate that largely on her own. And now we have sort of a, had a group of uh, female coaches that we could bounce things off one another. Um, but ultimately, one of the best things for me coming into the league was that I don't say, like I'd gotten over myself. I'm not young. I'm not, I wasn't trying to climb my way up. I, I sort of came in with this idea that what value can I add to the organization? What value can, can I add to the league in terms of being a female, but more so on a day-to-day -day basis, what can I do? And so I let a lot of this kind of small stuff not bother me and tried to push the bigger concepts where I felt like there's room for growth in the league. The decision to go back to, to take the USC job after two years in the NBA, you had been at Cal um, and had great success in the same conference. How differently were you reimagining how you could coach college basketball based on your experience in the NBA? How differently you're going to do it at USC? Immensely. I mean, to be honest, Woj is part of the reason I took the job because I think that 
I think I'm going to be a whole different, better version of myself because of this experience. And it was shorter than I, than it maybe even I would have, you know, chosen, right. Another year or two in the NBA, at least would, would have been, would have been cool. But ultimately I think as I looked at this opportunity, I was never like, well, let me wait for this job to open up or let me wait for that job. Um, but, but when the USC job opened and, and also in conversations with the AD about, you know, he said, Lindsay, this is your blank canvas. You tell us what it looks like to have an elite women's basketball program and kind of gave me a lot of autonomy. It made me think about it in a way that I am such a better coach for having spent two years in the NBA. I'm such a better coach for having essentially had the opportunity to, to step away for two years into a think tank of the greatest minds in basketball, almost kind of recraft, reimagine what I want to be as a head coach and how I can do it at the time when the NCAA is changing, which scares a lot of coaches. For me, it was almost a draw. Like this, this kind of, you know, new paradigm of what the NCAA and college athletics should look like. I do think I can be on the forefront and a leader in, um, you know, kind of having a little bit more of a player centered model, um, you know, where they are kind of sharing in the NCAA experience in a different way. Um, that's what the NBA is. It's a partnership with the players. Um, I think there's a lot of innovation going on that, that I can, you know, take some of that and bring it to the job now. So, I'm going to be better because of this experience. And that's definitely one of the reasons I felt ready and, and, and kind of compelled to take the job right now. When you talk to recruits now, or you talk to your players at USC, how intrigued are they with your NBA experience and want to talk to you about how it might relate to them, their careers, um, or, or just want to hear stories about what it's like to coach against KD. Right. Right. I, it's, it's, it's kind of all levels of it. Like some, uh, particularly, you know, parents have talked about um, just that willingness to kind of do a scary thing and, and go and um, go to the NBA and, and, and break some barriers, how, how they appreciate that relative to what their daughters might be sort of learning um, from that. I, I definitely weave kind of seamlessly into our workouts just reads on, on, on pick and roll or why this spacing and it's not hey this is what we did in the in the NBA therefore we're going to do this it's it's more just talking about the game from various vantage points that's what the, the I think that's where my benefit comes and I watch a lot of WNBA and I watch a lot of NBA before I was in the league in men's college women's college so I'm always trying to pull and say hey this is why we're running this this is where this can be useful to you and so when I pull some NBA knowledge there I think that they they, they appreciate that, um, but it's more of how it can make them better. And then, of course, you know, there are some who are like, oh, my gosh, you know, you know, Colin Sexton or what, what have you. And that, that's just, you know, kind of fun. But I really see this whole thing as what I can bring to them to make them better. And the more experiences you have at any level, the better you are. And that's really where I intend to kind of weave in the information. I certainly don't think you can run a college program exactly as an NBA runs. That wouldn't be successful, nor could you do it uh, the flip side. But where I can bring in the knowledge I've learned about nutrition and when to give people time off and when to push them and how elite athletes train, those are the things I think I can bring into our everyday that, that will make this program better and will make the individuals in it, I think, have more opportunities, which is what I'm all about. I remember talking to Billy Donovan when he had left Florida and had been in college basketball for a couple decades and was in Oklahoma City and we were talking after maybe his first year there and about the things that you don't miss about college basketball. And I remember him and I've heard this with others, I am not tethered to my phone. And I think you felt this, we had talked about this 
when you were in Cleveland that, you know, he would say, when I, when I leave practice, I don't have to run to my phone and see there's 17 missed calls and I've got to call this recruit and that. That's not part of it. And there is some, if I'm going to sit and eat dinner with my family, we can sit and eat dinner and I don't have to be texting. I don't have to be responding to it because it's all built around recruiting. What has that been like to come back to that? Because it is part, especially when you're built, when you're starting out and you're out, you've got to hit the, hit the ground recruiting. What has that been like? And, and is that, you know, is that kind of a little bit of a sigh? Okay, I'm back to that again. So I think the one person who may be on my, their phone more than me won't is you. Because uh, uh, I think you have to be tethered to that thing and what you do too. But so, so here's how I see it. The NBA, you spend a lot of time working in the NBA, right? There's a lot of time where you're in it. And when you're in it, you kind of check everything else at the door and you're with the guys and you're with the team. But when you're not, whether it's you don't have a game that day or I don't have a scout when I'm home, when I'm home, I could put the phone down and be completely present. There's no question about it. And then there's an off season and things like that. Where I kind of was very intentional about this move back is that where college is a little bit conducive to my lifestyle sort of is the, the work-life integration. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the ability to, uh, I'm never going to probably put the phone down for several hours and say, you know, I'm, I'm checking work at the door and I'm only going to be with family. But I think I can weave, you know, my husband, Patrick, my son, Jordan, our son, Jordan, like into the mix a little bit more. So for example, you know, if we practice, um, you know, two to four this fall and, and, and Jordan gets out of preschool at, at two 30, I may have, you know, our, our nanny pick him up, bring him to the end of practice. He sees the girls, he hangs out on campus and then we drive home together. Like, I think you can, I can integrate a little bit more. Um, and I am going to be, I think, in control of, um, uh, there are going to be times where I say, Hey, I'm doing something where I'm not on the phone. Um, but, but I, there's no question that, you know, you come back to it. Um, and, and recruiting is constant, really your own players and their needs are constant, which with, that's with the portal recruiting, yeah. because you're, 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 let's be honest, you've got to keep recruiting your own players to For keep sure. them because yeah. other people are. For sure. But you also have to. I, if you don't call it recruiting, you have to invest in your own right. players all the time to, to be successful because that's who I want to be anyway. Like they are all my kids now, which is a, which is a great thing too. Um, but I think that the biggest thing for me is the way I live if, live my life, who I am as a coach, as a person, that is all partly recruiting too. Kids want to know who you are. Who, who am I going to play for? So I don't think I have to be texting every second. I don't think I have to be tweeting every second. I think I have to be living and doing the job and being who I am. And I hope that that draws people to want to play at USC in addition to being on the phone when I need to be on the phone. But I'm hoping that in this version 2.0 that, that I can figure out what works for me and what works for us in our program. And it's just what it is. But I, I joke with, you know, I'm very, very close with JB, you know, the head coach of Cleveland. And every once in a while, I'll send him a text and be like, you know, so... Uh, this is what I'm doing right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching highlights of, of an eighth grader. What are you doing? You know, and then he just laughs and kind of we go back back and forth a little bit. But it's a different world, um, but but one that, you know, I'm jumping into eyes wide open. Has any of your house hunting yet included looking to see where maybe some Dodgers live, some Angels yeah. live, right? You had pretty good experience with 
Major League Baseball players in Cleveland, right? We did. Um, so we moved, when we moved to Cleveland, uh, we were super lucky that that uh, Carlos Santana and his family lived next door. So my son has he calls them his sisters, um, the Santana girls. Uh, uh, and then you know, Javel McGee was my neighbor for a little bit, um, and uh, my son was close with his daughter. Of course, we were. My son did not understand the, the NBA trade deadline at all. Uh, and then another Cleveland Indian moved in after. So, um, I, and I imagine Javel like like kids gathering in his yard and like climbing out. <laughs> I imagine him in the yard, like chasing kids around playing ball. I imagine him being like a popular, like loving having like that whole, I ma- that's what I imagine him doing. Well, but, the funny yeah. thing is a lot of people were like, do all the, the pro sports teams in, in Cleveland all just get, you know, get together and hang out. I think it's just a small city um, with big sports um, kind of followings uh, made it feel like everyone knows each other. I think, uh, you know, we, we may rent out our house to one of the, in Cleveland to one of the, the players. Um, uh, but no, here in LA, it's a little bit of a different, different story. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that uh, we'll be living, you know, next to, to any of the Lakers or, or Clippers or even the baseball players, but uh, but it is a neat time to be in LA relative to sports teams. I'll tell you that it's it's pretty exciting around here. Well, there's a lot more coming at USC. You'll start your first season with the Trojans. I know you're off and running in recruiting. Uh, I know you can't talk about some of them, but um, I, I get the sense there's some some good early success. I know you'll. You'll get this thing rolling and back uh, back among the elite as you did it at Cal. But this was fun, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay Gottlieb, the new head coach of the Southern Cal Trojans. They don't like Southern Cal, right? They want USC or University of Southern California. I think those are the, the two main ones. Although right. we do have a throwback Lisa Leslie jersey coming at some point, I believe, next season. That That's going to be a, a featuring the Southern Cal. So uh, we'll, we'll take it. All right. All right. Lindsay, this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Woj. This has been awesome. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, University of Southern California basketball coach, Lindsey Gottlieb. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure also to listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and of course, the Adam Schefter Podcast with my good friend, Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.